Our two Bible readings this morning that we had were uh, separated by 800 years. Isaiah uh, lived at a, around 740 BC, while Matthew wrote his biography, his Gospel of Jesus, uh, in the 60s. They show, these two readings, how the two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are inextricably linked. The Old Testament is the book of promises, of shadows, of anticipation. The New Testament is the book of fulfilment and completion. Now in the first reading, the prophet Isaiah was warning Ahaz, the king of Judah, of a looming tragedy, the invasion of the Assyrian army. They would brutally and mercilessly devastate the northern kingdom of Israel and they would threaten to do the same thing to the southern kingdom of Judah if they refused to submit. The sign of this child called Emmanuel, which means God with us, was an assurance that even though they will go through great suffering and loss and even though this disaster would actually be God's judgment on them, God would nevertheless never leave them. He would be with them through their suffering and he would bring them through to the other side. Now shortly after this, Isaiah's wife got pregnant and she had a son. And while the boy was still young, the Assyrians invaded Israel. So it might appear at first glance that Isaiah's prophecy was all wrapped up, completed within a year or two, except that Isaiah goes on to speak about this promised child in the words that are commonly quoted at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's from Isaiah chapter 9. So what happened with Isaiah's son was just an immediate but a partial fulfilment. Isaiah was speaking of another child to be born, a child in their future. Now in our second reading, Matthew tells us that the birth of Jesus was this proper fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah's son was a sign, but it was pointing forward to Jesus. Jesus, his birth was more than a sign. He was the actual reality of which the name Emmanuel means God with us. What did he mean by this, God with us? Well, there's a few things that the Bible doesn't 
mean when it calls Jesus God with us? It doesn't mean that Jesus was just a regular person but with a divine spark or some special gift or capacity to be in touch with the divine. Uh, It doesn't mean that Jesus started off as a man and then uh, somehow became a god through reaching enlightenment. It doesn't mean that Jesus just came to teach us how to love one another as the popular carol says it, so that somehow by our goodness or our niceness uh, we can somehow reach up to God. And it's not some kind of just a metaphor or a a figurative phrase that maybe Christians later interpreted to mean that he's God. No, the Bible makes some very clear statements that affirm that what Matthew meant was for us to take that statement, God with us, as literally true. For example, the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Or Colossians 1, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And from the mouth of Jesus himself, I and the Father are one. Now when the people heard him say that, we're told that they picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So if Jesus is not merely a teacher or a guru or just a moral example, if he's actually God in person, if he is as the the statement that all Christians have accepted throughout the last two millennia and throughout the world says we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ the only Son of God eternally begotten of the Father God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made one being with the Father Um, very complex language there but that's from the Nicene Creed the statement that every Christian church throughout the ages has affirmed If this is what the world is celebrating each Christmas, then we can't just celebrate his birth at Christmas time and then go through the rest of the year as if he didn't exist or he doesn't exist. God has come in human flesh. That's the boldest, most revolutionary claim someone could ever make. Bigger even than the claim that there is a God. It's a claim that demands all or nothing. If we believe, or at least if we're open to the idea that Jesus is God in human flesh, the big question we must ask is why? Why? 
Why did we need God to come to us in this way? How is this different? How, why must he be different to all the teachers and heroes and inspirational people of history? Well, the answer is found in what I briefly presented to the children. Jesus is priest, prophet and king. Now, I won't go into great depth in each one. Uh, If you want to go into greater depth, you just get hold of the last three Sundays' sermons. But I'm sure as we look at them briefly, you will agree that each of these touches on both the deepest yearnings and the deepest problems of the human race. As the priest, he bridges the gap between us and God. He comes into this world in which God seems distant and inaccessible, where God's face is hidden behind a dark cloud because of our rebellion against him. A priest is a mediator who must identify with both parties who need reconciliation. Jesus does this perfectly and completely by being both fully God and fully human. And he brings about that reconciliation by offering himself as a sacrifice, taking on the judgment we deserve. This means that through Jesus, God has come near to us and we may now come near to him, not based on how good we might try to be, but based on what he has done for us. As the prophet... He brings us the truth that we need to hear in a world that's filled with lies and deception, where we can never be entirely sure who to trust or what ideas or philosophies can be believed. A prophet speaks not just ideas that are true, but the truth of God. Their words are a revelation. They're an explanation of how he works in this world. But Jesus doesn't just give us merely words about God. He is called the Word made flesh. He himself is the the full and final communication from God to humanity. If you want to know who God is, look no further than Jesus. As the embodied Word, he shows us that God is personal, God is relational, God is full of compassion yet firm on justice. If you know Jesus, you also know God as your Father. And as the King, he comes to establish the Kingdom of God, a Kingdom based on justice, mercy, love, in which everyone is equal in dignity, in which the citizens are joyful in living under God's authority and gracious in exercising authority. Unlike the rulers of this world who come and go, no matter how good they may be, Jesus has been raised from the dead, never to die again. So he is the king clothed in our humanity forever and his kingdom is secure. He gives 
eternal life, not just eternal in length, but eternal in quality, life to the full. We've seen the effects of his rule in the way that Jesus has shaped this world in the last 2,000 years. But the day will come when the corruption and the greed and the injustice of this world will give way to the fullness of his kingdom, when he comes to make all things new. All of this, Jesus does as both fully human and fully God. And if it were anything less, he would just be another charlatan, just another fraud with empty promises. Now, seen like this, it makes sense then that Jesus would make such a bold claim as... I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Because as the priest, he is the way back to God. As the prophet, he is the truth of God embodied. As the king, he is the source of true life. Throughout history, many people have offered to provide one or more of these things a way, a truth, a life and maybe from time to time they've been able to give a fraction of what they offered. Jesus gives all three without fail and it's because he is God with us. This makes Christmas not just another story among stories. The coming of Jesus into this world is actually the climax of the story The story of the whole of history that God the Father has been unfolding, bringing everything to the right point for the birth of the Son. And since that moment, he has continued to unfold it to this point today. You being here today is not an accident. It's not a fluke of history. You're here because the Father wants you to hear this message of Jesus. And he calls you to embrace this story of his great love for you and for the world. One more thing about the, the necessity of Jesus being God with us. In him, we see God doing for us what we are unable to do for ourselves. We can't rule ourselves justly because we're rebels at heart. We can't speak the truth because we prefer to hear and to believe the lie. We can't come to God because it's our sins that have separated us from him. But in Jesus, all of these barriers are broken down and he calls us all to turn, to turn from our self-sufficiency, to come to him, to confess that we have nothing to bring except our own sinfulness and our own failure. He calls us to receive the free gift that is his son, to put our trust in Jesus alone. In the words of the song that we began this service with, let not the promised son remain a stranger. In reverent worship, make Christ your adored. Eternal life is theirs who would receive him with grace and peace 
their lives he will adorn.